1: Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports
2: Today. Let us linger on this Wednesday. Because it still does matter. Chuck Oliver Show on this particular Wednesday, the 1st of February. And if it's the 1st Wednesday of February, you know it's signing day and it still does matter, so we will linger just a little bit. When I say it still does matter, I'm saying the outcome on signing day still does kind of look like playoff fields, the top of the final rankings each year. If you go back and look right now, as a matter of fact, pick any of the services who will give you a – I don't know, ESPN has their 300 prospects and then their class rankings. Go to ESPN if you want. Where else can you go? Uh, You can go to uh, The Athletic. They talk about recruiting. 24-7, they've got the composite where they kind of boil down everybody else's. Whatever recruiting rankings you want to go look at, do you know you're going to see at the top of the list, Georgia? You know, you saw at the top of the rankings before last season, Georgia near the end of the regular season, Georgia, probably the preseason 24, Georgia, there is still some ink to be put to paper. In fact, I think right now, as we speak, Brian Williams down in Saraland, Alabama signing with the tide, if he hasn't done that already, but if you want to look at the rankings as they exist right now, there's still some movement to be had. Top 10 recruiting classes right now, high school kids, Georgia, Bama, Oregon, Miami, Ohio State, Texas, LSU, Oklahoma, Auburn, Notre Dame, Clemson, Florida State, et cetera. So it still does matter, and it still does look like Sort of the final rankings or the preseason predictions, et cetera. College football is on shifting sand right now. All of this could change. But there still is a correlation between getting better high school players into your program and winning the biggest games. Some of these kids even stay. I mentioned Ryan Williams is a player that was a five-star that was still up for grabs. Terry, uh, and He's an Alabama kid now. Terry Bussey was a five-star kid from Texas who was an A&M commit and have been since maybe November or October, and LSU was trying to get in. He stays committed. So when you look at programs bringing in, you know, Texas A&M, for all the stories of this kid left and this kid, like Lane took the five-star, it was it Walter Nolan took him? And he's got an old Miss now. So Chase Lane left. So many of the big name prospects that went into Texas A&M, and I'll say like prospects, not transfers. Those aren't prospects. That's you got college tape, not a prospect anymore. Look at all the high profile, blue chip, high school seniors signed with the Aggies. Some of them are still there, not all of them, and I wouldn't say most of them. But it still did bring value of some sort. So you probably should linger at least a little bit. Now, here is the kick in the pants when it comes to signing day 2024. And I, this is going to be a little bit going forward until whoever either has the gumption, whichever adult has some gumption to say, let's guardrails, uh, or whoever leads the. 18 to 22-year-olds to some long-term, you know, planning and thought. But signing day 2024, honestly, it's got Elvis Presley on my mind. It's got a song, and it's simple enough. It's called Love Me. Treat me like a fool. Treat me mean and cruel, but But love me. Programs are now so frightened of a hint of simply looking bad. Um, if you have not seen the story, I was mentioned in Texas A&M and they're doing everything they can to wrap, wrap up that first class with, um, Mike Elko. If, if you look at what's been going on with the recruitment of Ashton Bethel Roman, big four-star kid recruit that if you want to go back to December 20th, it's a four-star receiver. December 20th headline, Arkansas fans sweated out, but Ashton Bethel Roman officially in fold. February 7th. No, he's not. When I say programs are now frightened by a hint of looking bad, the letter of intent, this is something we talked about a couple of days ago, and now it has played out. Um, The signed letter of intent, it used to be, all right, you are now bound. um, That you are coming to Texas A&M, Arkansas, Georgia, wherever. Uh, It still could be that way. It hasn't changed. The rules around the letter of intent hadn't changed. There's always been a provision that when a high school kid signs a letter of intent, he's bound to the program. And... The program can always release it from uh, release him from that requirement, and then you get into transfer protocols, etc. Well, December twentieth, this kid signed the letter of intent. He then decided, you know what? Actually, I want to transfer anyway, I, I, and I don't want it to count as my transfer. I don't want to go to Arkansas afterward. Uh, after all, now there is something about a young man learning to work his way through things, and you know, knows the grindstone, et etc. But when it comes to college, specifically college football recruiting, it is to the point now that I think the priority is we don't want someone going on Yelp and giving us a one-star review. If you recall, there was an incident when Kevin Sumlin was at uh, head coach at Texas A&M. They had a kid that was committed. That's all. Decommitted, decided I'm going to go to Ohio State or Notre Dame or something. Wide receiver coach goes online talking about integrity and honesty and the right type of young man and the wrong type of high school seniors and easily swayed and weak young minds, and it just goes on and on. Kevin Sumlin's like, yeah, come talk to me. Uh, We can't do that. It's gone from just don't do that. It's gone from Kirby Smart and Nick Saban arguing publicly over Marie Smith to a high school senior deciding I'm going to Arkansas, and then a month later saying, yeah, I really don't want to, and Arkansas saying, hey, you move on, young man. It is not only worth us having the big-picture reputation be, hey, they're friendly to kids' wants and leans. It's not only that. Do you know what may happen in, I don't know, another month or a year or three? Ashton Bethel Roman may decide he wants to transfer again and you get another bite at the apple. So by not making this count as his transfer, yeah, you're released. Not only do you preserve your online reigning, but you also, with that kid in particular, you've got another shot when it comes back around if it does. So he may decide College Station is the end of the rainbow for him, and he's going to stay there forever and ever. Amen. Um, but programs now are so frightened of a hint of simply looking bad um, that they have decided, you know what? If you sign the letter of intent and we even have headlines, you sweated it out because he took trips to not only AM but also Missouri, I believe, back in December. You had to sweat it out, but we got him. Six weeks later, you don't. If you also have not seen college football, this is all signing day, folks. This is all going on right now. Um, if you have not seen what Tim Beck, do we know who Tim Beck is? Head coach at Coastal. Uh, Dabo and Shane Beamer yesterday marching to the state house insisting that the South Carolina legislature help them with recruiting. Name image likeness. You know what Mike Tomlin wasn't doing yesterday? That. Do you know what Jeff Halfley isn't doing today? That. Nobody in the NFL is doing that. And so all of these layers to the recruiting onion, it all comes like front and center right today. Um, we should linger on the outcomes of this class because it at one point would be 25 bricks in the foundation. Now it might be like 38 bricks that you bring in and you retain 20 of them after a year. And instead of having a senior class of like, I don't know, 18, a few years later, uh, maybe you only have like five of these kids left, but it still does matter. And I know that in the easiest way possible. You look at the recruiting rankings, you look at the final rankings, there's a lot of crossover. So, all of this, um, all of these different storylines, uh, competing interest, it makes it like a signing day that we have never seen before. And the letter of intent now just being um, a completely optional paper to, as far as we're going to hold you to your obligation um that is the latest uh giant change in this the letter of intent is what you actually sign on signing day and now it doesn't carry much weight at all so that's where we sit all right we're gonna uh take a quick break come back jump into it next
1: King of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show
2: Wednesday signing day and I got to tell you one ACC head coach has already become a bad habit for me when you start ignoring what you know to be right when you stop playing fundamentally sound football like that's what that's the the key notice when a coach who you're certain understands the game He stops coaching fundamentally sound football. Like, you should pause live television and go, all right, let's let's mark this time in the game. I mentioned this before. This is fundamentally sound. This is when you stop playing fundamentally sound football. Three and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. You're down by nine, and you start using your timeouts on defense. If he, you wouldn't do it in like the first fifty-seven minutes, and it's purely reactionary, you're not playing sound fundamental football anymore. Jim Tressel, I've talked about, it. This is the biggest example. First quarter, go for it on your own thirty or thirty-five in the national championship game. He was like, "Everybody, pay attention. <laughs> this is the ball game." Um, a coach will always tell everyone watching when the, the moment that the game is on the line, he'll make a coaching decision. It's fundamentally not sound Uh, that's always one of those big red flags so I'm doing that now I'm ignoring my keys I'm going against my basics I'm, I'm not using my technique last year I largely dismissed the importance of the Tennessee offense having a new quarterback and a new O.C. I may have been right in both of those assertions. And maybe it was just a combination where both of them being gone, that, Hooker and Golish, that maybe it, like one of them returning and it would have been rolled along just fine. I tend towards the quarterback. But I didn't think you needed either of them. I thought Joe Milton's a guy who's won a job at Michigan and Tennessee and the stronger arm, which you knew about. Hendon Hunker does everything else at a higher level. But losing the play caller, nah, not a big deal. Losing the quarterback, folks, do we realize that for the same reason, I know I I wasn't alone, by the way. I was not alone. The same reason that we minimized any value, any importance, any detriment to the program of losing your play caller, that's the same reason we minimized losing Hendon Hooker, Josh Heupel. It's not the OC's offense. It's not the quarterback's offense. It's Josh Heupel's offense. Now, this season, Bill Conley, I I characterize him as a high level thinker. I believe that there's categories of you know, like and we're gonna put brain power in he's a high level thinker. And he has an article that comes out each year. And it's returning production percentage of returning production, offensive production, tackling, um, rushing yards, whatever it is. It's all. It's everything. Out of 133 teams, I believe that play this level of football, Tennessee's 107 in percentage of returning offensive. Production. I will give you every layer of context to why that doesn't matter. Now I'm going to skip to the end of the paragraph. It does matter. I'm going to give you all the context to why that doesn't matter. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Here's the context. Squirrel white. Now these first two things you're going to go, how can that be true? 107 out of 130-ish in returning production. That 107th ranking include Squirrel White, who was the leading receiver, he's back. Dylan Sampson, second-leading rusher, he's back. All right, here's the context. Um, Nico, I think, is going to be a better quarterback than Joe Milton. Now, I don't know that that's much of a provocative statement now that we've seen Joe Milton and his final season. Like, who was saying that last August? I think Nico will be a better We saw Joe Milton. We got to see him play and play and play and play. And I got news, Joe. You might want to play that bowl game, too. And the senior. Kudos to Sam Hartman. Did we all see what he did down in Mobile? Like none of the other quarterbacks really wanted to get stretched out. Sam Hartman's like, I need the reps. I'll do it. He didn't look good. But he's like, I'll take the reps. Nico didn't play. Nico's going to play now. I think Nico will be a better, more impactful quarterback on a consistent basis. And by the way, Josh Heupel will not be scared to call the exciting plays like he appeared to be with Milton. So there's your context. Joe Milton was fits and starts in the offense. Folks, do you know how much they averaged in 2020? Hey, give me a guess. One through 100, how many points per game Tennessee averaged in 22? Um... Forty six. Okay. <laughs> Last year they averaged thirty two. Imagine if it had been a nor take a normal offense and not fourteen points a game off their average from one season to the next. Take I don't know, uh, take NC State. They average twenty four points a game. Take two touchdowns off that. What do you think it's gonna look like at ten points per Saturday? At Tennessee, we were still sort of kind of distracted by the 32. That's how unreal the offense. We're like, it's going to roll right along. Well, this year, you've got Nico. He didn't play at all, basically. So whatever production was there, it's not reflected because Joe Milton's gone. When I say that Dylan Sampson was the second-leading rusher and he's back, yeah, he had half as many yards as Jalen Wright. Now, the big context is Squirrel White, leading receiver, he's back there was kind of a mush up of receivers. It wasn't like he had a dominant 108 catch season and he's returning. And then after that, it's all context. Like, I like Dante Thornton a lot. He barely played last year. I like Brew McCoy, and I know he's good at the college level. I know he's productive. Got hurt, barely played. Who's the kid? Matthews, the five-star freshman? He didn't play at all last year. You know why? He wasn't there. So... I look at the Tennessee offense, and I'm doing it again, Heath. I'm like, yes, I know all of this stuff that's always true. Every year it matters. I'm looking at Knoxville and going, it doesn't matter this time. So maybe I'm with the Kool-Aid again on Rocky Top. But, man, I can't wait to see that offense home.
3: Yeah, look, it's going to be interesting because obviously we've seen through the years that Hypo always makes that offense go, and, and Nico was such a talented kid that it's interesting to imagine what he might do With a full-off season to take the wheel when he looked as good as he did against what we know is a pretty stout Iowa defense, although now there'll be a little bit more tape on him, people preparing specifically for him. For the record, I was going to guess 38, so I would have been shy by a little bit there on that number. I was trying to just do the math. Take a lap. The one thing about Hypel, though, again, you can talk all you want about that offense, how exciting it can be and how fun it can be to watch. He's going to still have to show that he is not Mike Tyson that he is not a guy who just lands that flurry of punches and knocks you down, but if you fight back, he can't respond. And the number continues to be one, only one time at Tennessee that he's been able to come back in the second half and win a game. They've blown some games in the second half, but they haven't been able to come back and win games in the second half. That, to me, is the thing. Now, can you have a consistent offense? Because it feels like with him, if that offense is cooking you at the beginning, if you weren't ready for it, man, it's over. They'll just land a hail of blows and it's over. But otherwise, eh, not a lot of, of counterpunching going on. One quick note, Chuck. Uh, Mike Elston, defensive line coach, pre-respected guy, leaving Michigan for the Chargers. Other moves got announced yesterday to the Chargers. This one hadn't been expected. And so now another big loss for them. And, and the more I look at this Michigan situation, it's being posed as, oh, wow, what a disaster. I think this might actually be a good thing for Sharon Moore. Trying to follow a national championship was going to be basically impossible anyway, especially with the guys they lost, the experience they lost in that uh, in that locker room. But now that you have Jim Harbaugh, who not only won the national title, but also is now the bad guy who tore apart the staff, you've got a year to get your guys in place. You've got at least a mulligan. I'm not saying you could just crash and burn. You can't go you know, six and six, seven and five. But if he's even like a nine-eight wing coach next year. You could have that year Jimmy Johnson had with Miami. Remember when he took over similar situation? Now, he's coming from outside, unlike Moore, who was on the inside. But Jimmy Johnson had that first year at Miami that wasn't great, and then he put his stamp on things, and we know what happened from there. I feel like Sean Moore is going to get that opportunity in a way he wouldn't have if more of this staff had stuck around.
2: We had four national championships in nine seasons. I think even Dennis Erickson got in on the action, didn't he? He got a couple of them. Oy vey. Uh, <laughs> I bet Dennis was fun to hang out with. I bet it was never a comfortable uh, athletic director who had him in employ. Um, But, man, Dennis could win some games.
1: It's always college.
0: A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen.
1: football time in the south now back to more of the king of college football chuck oliver on southern sports today
2: wednesday on the chuck oliver show talking college football nine state 60 sticks been doing it 10 years thank you all for making this thing possible appreciate it turns out eli might be a pretty good coach um he goes chest out sometimes and gets a little snarky but i'll give him credit he stands there and takes the fire um I'm wondering about his ability to replicate this and Missouri's ability, for instance, Cody Schrader led the SEC in rushing. How often is that going to happen? Oh, it happened two years ago with Tyler Beatty. Oh, see, turns out Eli may kind of know something. So they're having success at Missouri at a level, especially last year, that very few predicted. Uh, among other topics we're gonna bounce through the sec with a good friend of ours from 440 sports it is Braden gall Braden, welcome back friend how are you what's going on man how are you uh i appreciate your time as i said 440 sports athlons as well let's start with eli and ability to replicate i don't know about winning the cotton bowl over ohio state every year but um it's not just a good story like this is a good program at the level that I think he can get it to. Tell me tell me about the sustainability and the year-to-year and the ability to replicate this.
4: Well, what's funny is I think if you're talking about this year, you've got a, a star quarterback coming back. You've got a superstar receiver coming back. You've got uh, – you know, the offense is, is going to be pretty darn good. I think there's lots of questions without Blake Baker, the defensive coordinator, and some of the veteran leadership. You're probably going to see two corners drafted in the first two rounds. you got – uh, Robinson, Darius Robinson, who could be a first-round pick. You got Hooper, the linebacker, who's really good. So you got veteran stars at every level in defense, and the coordinator gone. So, can they replicate the defense? I think is is ultimately the question. Um, I, I will say, the schedule, though, you know, like kind of like Ole Miss in twenty-four, it sets up for for Missouri to be pretty good now. So that's sort of the first part of this. Short-term, can they replicate? they got a lot of pieces coming back. Very good roster. We have them as a preseason top 10 team, which puts them in contention for 10 wins in a playoff spot. Sure, so yeah. short answer, yes. Long-term, I think it's more about – I mean, obviously, I assume that you're alluding to like a this is $70 million gift to the university or whatever <laughs> to try to win. I, I think a lot of it is is Eli and Missouri, is it a long-term marriage? I think that's ultimately the question. And sometimes you just don't know about marriages until you're, you're pretty deep into whether or not it's going to work or not. Not, not from like a, Hey, he doesn't want to be like, I don't mean that kind of sense. Like a, like, you, you know, we have financial issues and you've been cheating on me, that kind of problem. I'm, I'm saying if he's good enough and he keeps winning 10 games, he's going to get offered big time jobs. We're seeing a lot of coaches go to the NFL right now um, for a lot of reasons. Roster management is so hard. If he wants to stay at Missouri, I I think it is sustainable. Um, I think the game around Missouri is going to change. We're starting to see NIL at some places be a negative because people went too hardcore into it. And then other places like Ohio State and Alabama are starting to increase their presence in NIL. So I think people are going to kind of catch up with Missouri in that department. So I just think it's more about, like, I I think there's more questions long-term uh, especially as the sec gets harder and two quote unquote better programs uh, come into the league. But at the same time, he is, you know, Missouri and Oklahoma, they played 93 times. They were arch rivals in the big 12 and Oklahoma doesn't care about Missouri. They don't view Missouri as a rival. They don't view Missouri as a, as a, as a, a, a problem. Uh, but, but Eli Drinkwitz is doing his best right now to like take players from them and win recruiting battles. And some his nose at Oklahoma to try to build up that rivalry. And right now, they're winning at a level where he can do that Uh, the question is um just the stability of the entire program and job and coaching staff like i just think there's more questions about that long term
2: all right give me some blue sky for mike elko in his first season because i opened the show today as like a signing day and i know a bunch of the five stars and four stars for everybody they all transfer out but some of the kids stay and there is a lot of talent there and you presume it's a an uptick in coaching maybe tell me what the blue sky is in college station
4: So I think uh, I I listen. I I think Mike Elko is a heck of a defensive coach. They've got plenty of talent. I know losing Cooper and a few other pieces into the portal uh, is going to be big, but I I just sort of trust him to do the job on that side. They've got a couple of younger options at quarterback that could develop. I mean, I thought the Henderson kid played pretty well down the stretch last year, but of course, Wigman's going to be the guy. I think he's building a really good coaching staff. Um, I think you you take the recruiter of the year out of the Big 12 from the Kansas coaching staff and bring him down. Like I think he's building a really good staff. So. Uh, they're more set up for success, I think, because the talent on the roster, despite some losses, was still among one of the top ten rosters in the country. Uh, We trust him on the defensive side to sort of fix that. The coaching staff is better and maybe the quarterback position is better. So I think there's a lot of reasons to like him. I I think they are squarely – the middle team in the conference though that there are eight teams right now in our preseason top 15 in the sec georgia texas alabama Olness, Miss, missouri tennessee oklahoma and lsu the bottom has two or three coaches on the hot seat maybe that's sam Pittman, billy napier shane beamer you got clarkley and vanderbilt you've got an interesting group of teams that could be good this year florida auburn and kentucky but you're not really sure those are sort of the bottom half, and then you've got the top half, as I said, and we don't have another team ranked in the top 25 right now from the SEC. A&M would be next, but they're sort of just outside the top 25. So they're, to me, they're the middle team. That if you're looking for someone to overachieve and surprise some folks, it's A&M. Uh, I also think A&M does better when there are lower expectations.
2: All right, I'd mentioned this at the end of the season. The Big 12, you look at their rankings, the five worst records were Baylor and the four young teams, the new teams that had moved up. Um, That ain't going to happen with Texas and Oklahoma, obviously. Uh, Talk Texas, because that roster, it looks like like an SEC, like a Bama championship sort of roster out there. Tell me what you think Texas is capable of in year one in the SEC.
4: Well, schedule's really hard, but I think that's to be expected. Oklahoma, really difficult schedule. The difference between the two... Texas returns one of the best offensive lines in America to your point and the star quarterback who's got tons of experience and, and, and an offensive mind that is completely proven in Steve Sarkeesian. Now they, they lose their two superstar nose tackles on the defense. I think yep. the rest of the defense is pretty solid losing Bo Davis, the defensive line coach Dallas is a problem. And honestly, the the, the number of touches on the offense that are gone are a problem. Like, like Worthy, Mitchell, Sanders, uh, uh, both tailbacks, your kick returner, your partner, like they, they're losing a lot of production. But if you ask me, who would you rather have back your top three receivers, your tight end and your top two running backs or an elite offensive line and a quarterback, I'm taking the elite offensive line and the quarterback all day. So I I do think they're set up. I I think they need to, there's obviously a, a proof of concept that they need to show, the other factor and why I would have them top two in the conference and projected to make it to the SEC championship game is that Alabama is no longer Alabama for now. I think, we, I think I trust Kalen DeBoer. I love the coaching staff he's putting together. still a great roster. You return a quarterback. There's a lot to like about Alabama. But it's not Nick Saban's Alabama. So Alabama's not Alabama. Georgia's clearly Georgia still. But if you look at not just the SEC but the rest of college football, like who belongs in that top five? Uh, like clearly and it is number one, Georgia, number two, Ohio state. After that, you can make a case for five, six, seven, eight teams. And so I think there's a little bit of a unknown about who's going to be three, four, five, six in, in college football. There's a little bit of an unknown behind Georgia in the SEC. I think there are a lot of really good teams. Again, Ole Miss, Missouri, Tennessee, Oklahoma, LSU, a couple of those teams at the end, there, quarterback dependent, but we really like Nico and Jackson Arnold and Garrett Nussmeyer And so I think, again, Brady Cook and Jackson Dart are back, and and Ole Miss and Missouri have better schedules than the other teams do. So I I think there's sort of a void that Texas is prepared to fill, both in the SEC and nationally, and then you package it with uh, a coaching staff that appears to have eliminated the entitlement and dysfunction from the university. Um, There's proof of concept on what they did last year outside of basically one drive against Oklahoma and one quarter against Washington where Michael Penix like played like, like a, you know, a Marvel comic superhero. And so I think, I think they're prepared, but I I do think there's always going to be um, difficulty going up in competition. That's number one, but all, there's always going to be this sort of Texas thing where people just go, well, well I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think Sarkeesian has done enough to, to earn the benefit of the doubt at this point.
2: Wrapping up, breaking all 440 sports, also Athlon. Um, It's only two seasons, and so, I mean, I guess you can still recruit and develop and build a program in today's age. But when is, at least to me, uh, I don't see Brent Venables' DNA all over that program, especially on defense, not yet. Um, Give me your impression after two seasons with Brent Venables because I'm afraid, like Oklahoma, they're clearly 1A coming into the uh, program, I mean, into the conference now clearly one a one a with Texas it's like Texas is one they're one a like everybody uh, thinks OU and Texas are shoulder to shoulder I'm like mm, not right now
4: no I don't I don't think so I think in large part because they they lose all five offensive linemen and their offensive coordinator uh and their starting quarterback now Jackson Arnold is the the star kid there and of course the quarterback that people are saying in Norman I've been told this is unlike any player they've had on campus since like before Lincoln Riley's, and that, that would include a lot of really talented players Kyla Murray, Baker Rayfield, Jalen Hurts, etc., uh, Caleb Williams. Like they're, they're saying he's, as, he's better than all those guys from a talent perspective. So, again, that's a lot of hype for a young man. We'll see, especially when you have, again, no offensive line and a new coordinator. Uh, defensively, though, I think to your point, I think we're going to start to see some of that DNA show up because I do think they are improving on defense. They took major steps forward last year. They went from one of the most disappointing teams in college football two years ago in his first season to uh, a 10 win team last year. The, the problem with Oklahoma this year, sort of like with Florida is like, I like what they have in some places, but the schedule is just brutal. Like Oklahoma's schedule is brutal, they could be a pretty good football team and be seven and five or eight and four. So um, I think this is more of a building year for them. Get acclimated to your point. They are, they are not positioned like Texas is in large part. Again, Offensive line and quarterback where Texas is very strong. Oklahoma has two question marks, albeit a highly touted question mark at quarterback. But I do think the defense is going to be better. And I think you're going to see that that DNA from Venables show up because I think they're they return a lot on defense. And I think they're going to try to play some lower scoring games, which is more SEC style football. So, Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think they're a fascinating team. Uh, If the offense comes together quickly, that could be a a top 15 team that pushes for another nine or 10 wins. And if it does, then it's a playoff team. I'm not ready to go there yet. I think they're more with with LSU and with Texas A&M and sort of that eight and four range.
2: All right, opportunity for like, you know, the sound bite that we play as a rejoin. Um, I talked yesterday. I was like, folks, Carson Beck, let's look at him. I like all of this. He could be the first overall pick next year. Um, give me your your vision, your possibility for Carson Beck in 2024 on the field and then after that.
4: Well, I think if you what's funny is you know, you're going to have less proven options around him, uh, you know, Brock Bowers, Ladd McConkey, et cetera, but Georgia is still clearly the best at everything, probably the best offensive line in America, the best coaching staff in America, the best roster in America, and they return a guy that, let's be very honest, like basically delivered in big moments at any point that he was asked as a first-year starter. Yep. Auburn on the road delivered in a big moment. They get, like they lit up Kentucky and Missouri in the first half because the game plan was so sound, and he just lit them up. Uh, Ole Miss lit them up, and I think and then you go back and look at the, you watch the Alabama game, like Georgia was hanging on by, by, I don't want to say a thread because it's Georgia, but they, they were sort of two scores down at all times in the second half. And every time Georgia got the ball, almost every time Carson Beck delivered a drive to cut the, cut the score to one. And, and they just, the defense for Georgia could not stop Jalen Milroe on those last two drives. And so I think you look at when, when he was asked to make plays, he he kind of delivered in every, in every situation. So, uh, I, I tend to agree. I don't know first overall pick good. I, I'm not, you know, I think he's a first rounder for sure. That, that's that's for another season to decide. Yeah. But Georgia is clearly the number one team in the nation, and it is because Carson Beck and the roster and coach are all back. And their schedule's tougher than it was last year. It, there's no question about it. But if you tell me that, like, I would bet everything I own that Georgia loses no more than two games. And if they lose no more than two games, they are in the playoff. And if, you're, if they're in the playoffs they are they are automatically a favorite to win it. So,
2: Got to agree with you on that, boy. A veteran like Mike Bobo, he looks at Carson Beck, and he's like, I can't wait. Come on, season. Uh, Braden, thank you for yep. your input, brother. Yeah, man. Always a pleasure. Braden, y'all. Athlon, 440. Mike Bobo's been coaching 25 years, I guess. Do y'all know about his bowl game down in, I want to say it was Tampa. I think he had one drop. He might have been like 22, 23, 23 out of 24, something. It was an amazing game. Uh, Mike Bobo, the OC there, veteran, 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 veteran. Full confidence of Kirby. You knew that with how the hiring process went last year. Todd Munkin, hi, I'm available. Kirby's like, mm-hmm. Todd Monk is literally standing on his front porch just shouting, I want to go to the league. And Kirby's like, okay, if you leave, let me know. He left. He was like, hey, Mike, want to be OC again? Yeah. Confidence, which means it's the phrase. I was like, here the keys. You drive it, man. This is not going to be, I'm an offensive minded guy, and so I'm going to kind of hang it. Uh uh-uh. uh. Kirby, for all purposes, is in the tower versus bugging Mike Bobo about the offense. And he's got a quarterback like this returning. He cannot wait. All right. We break. Rapid Power One next.
1: back to the Chuck Oliver show on Southern
4: sports today uh, It's a lot for me or someone else um, to be able to come out here and say hey here's what the rules need to be but the reality is there's there's certainly some changes that probably need to take place and um, hopefully
3: they lean in on some coaches when they come to making some of those decisions and what it looks like because I think sometimes we make decisions about what should exist in college football and we don't realize the ramifications
1: until later.
2: Head coaches, he's saying, "Hey, this Big Ten SEC alliance, we're going to work some stuff out." There's a phrase in corporate America. You think it's a bug? It's actually a feature. Um, the pushback or the down the road vision of this alliance. I've already told you what's going to equal, and I've I've had variance on my number. I think I'm going to settle at 20 or 24, maybe 24 in the Big Ten and 24 in the SEC, maybe just 20 each, maybe just 20 each. And those 40 schools will play actual college football. I've already said that. No, this alliance, this meeting, when you have the two biggest kids on the block, and I mean by a sight, the two biggest kids on the block decide, hey, we're all going to do this. What do y'all think about it? They're not actually asking you. They're telling you. Well, wait a minute. If the Big Ten and the SEC, they kind of pair up, this could lead to a permanent split of college football, leave a lot of programs in the cold. Ah. They know. <laughs> They're aware of that. The SEC and the Big Ten, you think it's a bug. They know it's a feature. It's not this horrific outcome that uh, Tulane and New Mexico don't play real football anymore. It's one of the intended consequences. So, yes, Dan Lanning, what he's saying, hey, we, uh, there's some unintended consequences. We got to, yes, about the Alliance specifically, and that's not what he was saying, but well, that's what it is. Hey, how's the Wednesday, man?
3: Well, the uh, the biggest thing, I think, that is interesting about things today on the Wednesday, Chuck. Is when you talk about people who maybe didn't read below the headline of a story, because we don't get into the weeds too much here on this show about every last detail of legalities and things like that. We kind of talk big picture. But you, you're not an attorney. I'm not an attorney. Nope. We don't try to to dig into that too much. But yesterday, the uh, folks from Tennessee and Virginia were denied their request that the attorney generals had put in for for a stay. Against a temporary restraining order against the NCAA from enforcing any of the regulations. And so the headlines were NCAA wins. The NCAA has finally won something in court. Look at this, NCAA. Maybe this group isn't as toothless as we thought. Well, Chuck, it's true. They did not get a temporary restraining order yesterday. The next hearing in this case is Tuesday. And this is what the judge, in this supposed win for the NCAA, literally said, verbatim quote here, while Tennessee and Virginia aren't granted a TRO, considering the evidence currently before the court, plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits of their claim under the Sherman Act. So the judge literally says in writing here, yeah, I'm not going to put this into effect right now, maybe Tuesday. But he's already calling the shot. They haven't even gotten to court yet, Chuck, uh, for the formal hearing. And the judge is already calling the shot saying, hey, you guys are going to lose again. Just letting you know, (laughs) you're you're about to catch another L.
2: That in this case, when they refile, there may be a different outcome. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. All they were trying to do was get it put into effect right away. Just to stop it. Judge said, you haven't met the standard for that. But yeah, when we actually get around to having the hearing, there's not an emergency need to do this before Tuesday. When we have the hearing, you're gonna lose. And I just, I just thought it was so funny yesterday how many people, uh, the people cover the sport who should be nope. smarter than that, reacted with, "Oh, whoa, look out! Maybe the NCAA? No, the NCAA, as usual, has nothing. The NCAA is sitting with the a,
2: urgency does not exist. Yeah, they're
3: they're sitting with a a fourteen and the dealer's got a face card. They they have very little. Um, and, and we'll see exactly how long it takes and and whether or not uh, the judge uh, will completely unleash yep. chaos or whether he'll allow them to appeal uh, up the line. I just thought it was funny yesterday with with the way that that thing played out and the difference between people who actually read the story and, and people who just went off on it. The other thing that came out yesterday, too, Chuck, that also has kind of a similar quality to it, uh, people yesterday say, hey, cable's back. Cable's back uh, because ESPN, Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Fox have created a joint venture. They say that uh, the new pay streaming service will launch in the fall. And it'll have all of ESPN's properties, So that means SEC Network, ACC Network, both would be a part of this. Uh, the NFL, World Cup, NBA. It's a robust of
2: offering. I have saw the list.
3: What we don't know yet is the cost. And so people say, oh, this is, this is like cable is back, and this is good news for sports fans. If you're tired of signing up for all these apps, again, let's just wait on that. I, I, I agree that what we've got going on right now with a zillion different apps probably isn't working for a lot of people because it's hard to switch channels between them and everything else. But people yesterday who are kind of like, hey, great news for sports fans, give give me that price tag. Give me the length of term on the price tag and whatnot before we decide this is great for sports fans. But if you are a college football fan, this is likely going to impact you.
2: Yeah, and you're right, the devil's in the details. And ESPN, remember, they have for more than a decade had the highest uh, per carrier charge of any of the boutique channels.
0: A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen,